Welcome back to Range Anxiety. Who remembers that? The theme from Happy Days. One of the very best. And yes, good morning, Tesla. How are you going? Have a bit of a ding at me, but yeah, Happy Days. <sighs> Richie, the Fonz. What a time, what a time of our lives. And you know, sometimes I get told on, on Range Anxiety that I can be a tad on the sarcastic and negative side and you know find dark humor in things when it comes to motor cars well that's what happens when you've been doing it this long <laughs> but today we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to talk about uh, the happy days and they were really really good days you know it's uh i always say you know you know uh as Tony Soprano once said out of that legendary series remember when is the most pathetic of all all things and he doesn't want to hear it but I think Remember when in the car game... Oh, look, the Tesla just will not shut up this morning on this ride-along. It's saying the key is not detected, unable to restart after this drive. Yes, that's because I've got the key, which happens to be my phone, turned off. Ah, uh, what modern things that we put ourselves in the bin with, isn't it? The car, like, you know, demands all sorts of attention from you. Not like in the happy days. So we're going to go back and have a look at some of the really happy times at this industry. And, uh, and, you know, when you get frustrated with things or people or jobs that are on your plate, you look back at these happy times and you think, oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I probably would, but they were great days. So let, let's have a bit of a talk about them. This has all been sparked off because I've been seeing some things in my internet uh, feed of recently. Uh, on Facebook that are memories that, that go back right to the very, very early days that uh, pivoted this whole industry. And, and as you might know, if you followed me long enough, uh, the, big pivotal, the big pivotal point was the introduction, even though it had been around for years before this, of the LS1 engine. Um, it, it did something to the automotive aftermarket in this country that hasn't been done since, and I don't believe will ever be done again. Uh, it, it brought people together from all around the country. It uh, created all sorts of online running battles. It, it pushed people to the boundaries of, of development. It, it made new things. I listened to that V6 Commodore in front of us. But most of all, it gave everyone involved there were some ups and there were some downs, but overall, they were the happy days. Let's go right back to the very start. And yes, we've covered some of this before, but you know what? We're going to cover it again because it was good shit. So let's go. 1999 was the year. 22 years ago now. Wow. And uh, the very first LS1 powered car you could buy in this country was a WH Statesman or a Caprice. Yep, they came on board first before the VTSS2 came on board. And what a magic thing. You know, the Stadies were pretty cool. Um, but under the bonnet, look, that all aluminium Chev. It was, you know, a paradigm shift from the. Uh, traditional Holden V8, which was a good old thing and sounded great, but was getting really, really long in the tooth. And for the first time, Australian mainstream adopted Chevy technology. What great technology that was. I was lucky enough to have my hands on a WH back in 1999. It actually belonged to a local supercharger development company. And the first thing it had was a 
powered iron supercharger put on it. Who remembers those? Little sealed unit with an internal belt drive. It took a long time to get right, but once uh, once Tony got them right, they were they were pretty good things. And yeah, I saw the potential. I reckon we were rocking something like 160 kilowatts at the wheels out of those things stock. And with a powered iron on board and like five PSI boost, because remember, it's not like now where you can just go down to your corner store and buy tuning. There was no tuning involved. There were all of the tricks in the book that we had to do uh, to get these things working. Um, I reckon it made about 230 or 228 tuned. It was, sorry, sorry, not tuned supercharged it was a pretty sort of heady thing and that was through the stock little exhaust and everything else and, and slowly we crept up on it over a few months and i reckon it made about 250 kilowatts at the wheels this thing and ran like a 13.2 or 13.3 second quarter mile at the drag strip you know we were that was back in the days when we actually had a drag strip in south australia and you could just go out and test welly willy nilly you know, the standard car was around a 14.9, this thing was about, or a 14.8, this thing was about a 13.3, and it was wow. So, you know, the very first thing I did was sell everything I had. <laughs> I was a young and dumb then, and now I'm just old and dumb. But I sold everything I had, and including an R32 GDR, eek, yikes, and bought a brand new uh, VXSS manual, six-speed, off my good friend and local Holden dealer from City Holden, Julian Newton. I know Julian listens to all of these, and he, he happily took my money on a new VXSS, and, you know, he, he was actually pretty excited too uh, about these cars, and not just because of the bags of money he was going to make out of selling them, but they were just cool. You know, he used to get one out and thrash it around and resell it, and, you know, <laughs> they were happy days, let's just say. Um... And, you know, I got this thing, and I thought, how are we going to make this go fast? Remember, there was no tuning. This was the very start of the VXs, I reckon. I got mine in, would it be Feb 2001? Julian, you might be able to help me out here with that. But, yeah, we got it. There was no tuning. So the first thing I did, because back in those days, like I said, no tuning, to make it go fast, the first thing I did is I looked at those standard exhaust headers and thought, these things are crap, right? big cast iron things and I, I was kind of onto something there so I got on to uh, I got on to my PC at the time nice MS DOS based thing I, well, I had, it was probably Windows was around then but I had some MS DOS applications and there was a program I had called Engine Analyzer and I put all of the bore and the stroke and all of the data into this program and it spat out the perfect set of headers that I would need for it and I reckon they were 36 1 and uh, half inch primaries uh, equal length into a four into one collector you know I was never much one of these ones that was into oh look at a 350z I was never one of much into those ones that was into tri-wise to me they just yeah, tri-wire headers they just looked wrong and I knew all of the race cars I looked at the time had four into one headers on them so no one uh, had four into one headers for LS engines back then yep and that's how long ago this was long time ago and I found a local exhaust shop. He was probably the best around at the time, and he was very good. A guy called Mark Marchison that, that ran a company called Exhaust Technology here in Adelaide. And he signed on um, to make me the custom headers the way I wanted them. And yeah, it was a bit of a, 
was a bit of a contortion job getting them around everything in the engine bay. But we made these custom headers and I let Marky finish the exhaust system the way he wanted to. I reckon it was, oh, Marky, where am I right here? I wanted a twin, but you bullied me, I think, and you gave me a, <laughs> a semi-staino or a staino three-and-a-half-inch single into a merge with a crossover and a Jun BL muffler on the back, which kind of suited me at the time because, you know, I had my, my roots deep in JDM at the time and that was kind of like, a, you know, it was kind of paying homage to the GDRs and Supras and things I'd been working on up until this time and then I had this, uh, you know, JDM sort of looking muffler hanging out the back of the, uh, out the back of the Commodore and it sounded absolutely magnificent. I reckon it dynoed at 180 kilowatts at the wheel stock, this car, and I reckon after the exhaust it went straight to 210. But it was rich, rich, rich as hell, and the VX was running no timing. We didn't know this at the time, but it had no timing. So I looked around and looked around, and we found these things in the States called um, Mafans company called Granatelli Motorsports. This would have been mid to late 2001 at this stage. And what these did is, is you put your, your MAF sensor was three pieces and you unbolted it and the ends had like a, a honeycomb in them and they were sort of necked down a little bit. So by putting these plastic ends on that were open with no screen, you effectively increased the cross-sectional area of the of the mass airflow meter or MAF and with that came a real lot of performance benefits well, for the manuals we'll go into what happened to the autos later so it wasn't such a good story and we thought it was because there was so much increased airflow but I, I didn't go back to my basic physics of tuning an engine because the MAF meter was the main load input to the engine and by giving it more cross-sectional area essentially putting these bookends on or, or MAF ends was like putting it in a bigger pipe so what happened there is it reduced the load signal to the engine so it leaned it out so when you were flat out it thought it was only at say I don't know three quarters or half load so instead of dipping into the 10 to 1s and going overly rich in the air fuel ratio it pulled it back to the 11s and 12s and also because it thought it was under less load put more timing in it and I reckon we went from 210 to about 240 kilowatts at the wheels. Yeah, it was a massive, massive gain. No check lights, no nothing. 240 kilowatts at the wheels. I was making basically supercharged power out of a, a manual six-speed, um, normally aspirated engine. It was great stuff. It was heady stuff. And I just had to get this thing to the strip. So I took it to the strip and then I, I put a, a short shifter in it because, you know, they had a big, long, clunky throw, the VX. They weren't the most attractive thing on the on the gear shift. So we took it to the strip and I reckon I ran about a 13, five or six out of it. Yeah, not super impressive. But for a manual, that was like, wow, you know, Donald's really rocking along with his LS1 stuff. It was pretty cool. So I spoke to a mate of mine who just happened to live up the road from me guy called Theo from um, GD Auto Sound at the time, I think he still owns it, and 
he goes, well, you know, if you can't add any more speed, uh, let's add some lightness, one of my favourite sayings. And he came around and he stripped this thing to the bone for me. They were good on working on car interiors. And when I say he stripped it, I think we were just left with the driver's seat. Um, you know, uh, every door trim, headlining, centre console, everything, all the boot was stripped out, you know, the trunk was stripped out, everything was stripped on this car, and we must have saved, well, you know, a bit of weight, probably wasn't as much as it looked, I remember having a backyard full of brand new SS Commodore trim pieces going, oh God, what have I done here, but we took it back out to the strip, and it was a private day, it wasn't well prepped or anything, oh yeah, and I made a super duper mistake on tyres at the time, which is pretty, pretty darn stupid when you look back at it and I reckon I put some, they weren't our triple eights, they were some uh, Bridgestone RE55S uh, Potenza on the super huge 17s 17s on a VXSS, anyone? Bueller, anyone? I reckon it was 17s and we spray painted the rims black and on a white Commodore this thing looked, you know, edgy as hell in the day <laughs> and we took it back out to the strip and yeah, I had no traction as you know, I keep saying, do not use circuit-based semi-slicks on the track. It never ends well on the, I mean, on the drag strip, on the track, absolutely, that would have been fine. And I reckon we ran a 13-1 in it. Oh, it was so close to running a 12. It was absolutely diabolically close. Um, it's getting a bit noisy up here, everyone, because uh, South Australia is the home of roadworks and the Tesla on its tiny, you see I say tiny 20 inch wheels these days, is uh, quite loud, um, no engine noise and all yet, yeah I'm working on that everyone wanted to know, so we took it back out and ran a 13.1, it was it was delicious you know, but also close to a 12 and in the, in the meantime there were other people around the country that were knocking on the door of those 12s and I, I think one guy in particular in Queensland, a guy called Mark Hudson, he had like, oh, was it? Uh, oh, no, it was much after me, actually. It was about 2003 or four. He got so darn close to running a 10 in an auto, uh, normally aspirated, cam only. I do that with the Dr. Evil fingers, cam only. Hang on, we'll just go on to autopilot here. There we go, so we can talk. And yeah, he was, I reckon he was in the first in the 12s, pretty sure. And guys like John Lloyd from Street Quick Performance who was doing his thing over in WA and he was banging on into the 12s too, I think, with his mate Delco. Well, that was his handle on the LS1 forums. And uh, there was also a Peter Haylock, Plan B and the Sam's Performance guys who, who did tend to own the normally aspirated thing in the end with the LS1 basically due to sheer weight of development these guys just developed, developed, dyno tested and it was all sort of coming along and then came along LS1 edit, yep that's right there was something before HP Juniors, it was oh it was ridiculously expensive the software it, you couldn't do half of anything that you could do now but you could do the basics you could add some spark, you could remove abuse mode you could change rev limiters, you could do all sorts of things in these LS1 computers that had never been done before. I reckon it used to take like 15 minutes to read a car or 10 minutes or something and it was quite um, 
prone to bricking the odd ECU. Oh, we're out of autopilot now. We've seen some road hazards. So yeah, every time you uh, have plugged into the car, there was a chance that you would walk away without an ECU working anymore. And, you know, ECUs weren't as easy to link up then as, as they are now. So yeah, it was always heart in the mouth stuff. And at the time, a uh, guy I was working with bought a brand new VX GDS 300. Remember the colorways with the 100 grand car back then, mind you, with the self-imploding uh, valve train, the C4B, and the big red throttle body and the cool-looking engine covers. And so we, we went to town on that. Now we had tuning, and we put a 224-228 on 114 cam in it with some matching valve springs. Now, aftermarket valve springs weren't very good for LSs back then either. No, I mean, the standard things only had about 110 pounds seat pressure. They just floated. They were no good. They still are no good with the cam, cam in them, you know, that is on for lightweight emissions and all of that sort of caper. Um, we put some valve springs in it, and this thing was just a lumpy dock because we really had no idea how to tune it. There was no real speed density tuning around. We had to tune through the MAF, and rather than working on MAF scaling down low as we would now, we were bumping up idle speeds, doing all sorts of things, but we were able to get power out of it because we, we knew how to jam timing into it, you know, which is what the thing needed. So it was a nasty, filthy, idling, you know, fuel belching piece of crap. But when you got it on the dyno and got it on song, it was making like two, I reckon it made 273 kilowatts at the wheel. So we promptly drove it to a... Um, dyno day over in Victoria you know we did the 550 mile you know 750k or whatever um, drive of shame over to Victoria for a dyno day you know that was the day that Jason Moran uh, brought the farm back <coughs> in the day and underbelly good series by the way great Australian work and we took it to this dyno day in Frankston and I reckon we promptly um, won it but the guy who owned the car was very excitable. So when we were driving back on, uh, I reckon we drove back on the Sunday afternoon, back to Adelaide, you know, did the seven and a half hours. I reckon we did it in about six. Because he was a bit of a psychopath. And what strikes me and what stays in my memory of those happy days was that we stopped, let me count these out. I've got to get it right. We stopped five times to fill the tank. It was that filthy. <laughs> it was that thirsty. I reckon we averaged on the cruise home uh, 27 litres per 100. It was hor absolutely horrific, but it was such fun. You know, you don't get that anymore at the moment. If I drive to Melbourne right now from here, as I'm sitting, as I'm talking to you in the noisy Tesla and your JB, stop checking your wheel bearings, you know, I'd have to stop twice uh, for silent. 15-minute supercharger sessions. That was probably one instance where an EV would be faster point-to-point, point, even with lengthy, you know, 15-minute charge breaks, than a petrol car. But what one thing that VX GDS had that this car wouldn't have on that kind of road trip is that a fun factor. It was so bloody much fun. And then, of course, there was a big Sean. And they called him Big Sean because he was big and his name was Sean. And he decided to go all out. And he had a, 
this is when the VY was just coming in 2003, four. He went all out, had a manual six-speed hothouse green thing, I think it was, and uh, he got his mate Brenton to, to build him up an engine with a cam in it. We got entrusted with tuning it, and I reckon he put a Vortex supercharger on it. Now, this wasn't the very best combination of parts, but it's all we had. You know, today we could do it much better. Um, but we worked with what we had, and what we had wasn't a lot compared to now. So, we didn't have, we had, uh, this is when HP tuners had come on board, and we were one of the first, if not the first customer in Australia to buy HP tuners. And we tuned this Vortec powered beast. I think it was a stroker, I think. Brenton, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I reckon it was four, 408 stroker with a Vortec on it. It made near on 400 kilowatts at the bloody wheels, but we couldn't tune it with Tubar, a proper operating system, because you see, uh, that didn't exist back then. We had to tune it on the, on the one bar operating system, which meant, even though it was speed density, and we did by this stage have a VE table, just meant the last row, when you got onto... Uh, you know, 105 kPa when you started to see boost or at full load, so that was at any time from one pound to 15 pounds, you basically had the same fueling, which made it a bit of a lumpy thing to drive. But to offset that versus boost, we used a thing called an FMU, a fuel management unit, which was a super duper rising rate fuel pressure regulator that added more fuel with boost. This thing should never have worked. It shouldn't have even got close to working, but it did. And I was there the day, and this is a thing that came up on my feed the other day that made me feel all sentimental about the happy days. I was there in, you know, I think it was uh, 20, uh, 2004, at this stage, or early five. It was a hot day too. And when Big Sean got his big body in this big cube thing with a manual, which made it not so easy to drive, some slicks on the back, some tyres, runners on the front, and bashed off a 10.01 at 144. Oh, we were so close to that nine, but we just couldn't get it on the day. But it was at that point that I thought, these things are going to be fast and there are going to be nines out of these things sooner rather than later. And, you know, sure enough, uh, there was. But as, you know, this sounds very, very selfish, but as and Sean went on to do, like, proper drag cars, but as he as he has come back and said recently, uh, these were the funnest, happiest days of the whole thing, you know, before it all got too serious. I mean, we were dead set serious at the time, but we all pretty much had no idea what we were doing about getting this car to work. But somehow, we all, as a group of us, you know, I only played one very small part in that, just made it work. And that's what made it so good. Whereas now, you can just go out and buy the recipe. It's like, you know, you can just get a cookbook that, that that tells you exactly what to do to get the times you want. And that is just boring, in my opinion. There's no pioneering, there's no experimentation, and yeah, it's just boring, and, and it, yeah, it's, well, it's not wrong. Those days are now gone, those happy days. Everything you do now, you can build whatever you want, whether it's an R35 GDR, an LS, a Barra, a Hemi, and you can make it do whatever you want without the fear of the unknown. And that, I think, 
is the reason when people say to me, why do you bang on about this Tesla crap so much? You know, it's boring and everything else. Well, it's not because that is the next fear of the unknown. And that's what makes them so cool. Oh, I just went into the wrong lane then because of the amount of experimentation that you can do. So I hope you enjoyed that. They were the happy days. There are so many more stories to tell from that era and we might actually go through them uh, next EpiCast. But look, thanks once more for listening to Range Anxiety.